Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Movie Blast Beats. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, we like to talk about games, and we also like to talk about movies. And today we're going to be talking about what we... I guess what we're calling Movie Blasphemies, um, because two YouTube videos have come out this week that have sparked some intense discussion... Uh, essentially surrounding the overall kind of umbrella topic of, like, plot logic in film. <coughs> <In> film. <laughs> um, those two videos would be Patrick H. Willem's video, Shut Up About Plot Holes, in all caps. Um, and then the second video being the Red Letter Media, Mr. Plinkett review of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Both videos deal really heavily in kind of how we as viewers and as critics of media um, get to kind of uh, uh, evaluate plot logic in a film um, where uh, yeah. and, and they kind of come to, a, to certain different conclusions, I guess I would say. Yeah, um, and, and so um, just kind of the reason we're using movie blasphemies is um, because as... as um, Patrick Willems quite correctly points out is that these are usually called plot holes and they're not all plot holes. Um, um, another term you might use is cinema sins. Um, but, uh, we're, we're using movie blasphemies. Um, and so, uh, the, the kind of the way that Patrick Willems breaks down is that these fall into kind of five categories. Um, uh, and they are one true plot holes, which are, uh, uh inconsistencies within movie logic. Um, two plot conveniences, uh, something like the Death Star happens to have a uh, an exhaust port that is that is exploitable. Um, three, not every detail is shown. The example that Patrick Willem uses is um, we don't see uh, Batman getting back to Gotham. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, four, people acting irrationally, um, and this is kind of like an obvious one, which is which is an example of like um, a horror film protagonist not calling the cops or like staying around and trying to fight it off with the knife instead of doing the logical thing. Um, and five missed details, uh, which is kind of an odd one, but is essentially the thing is explained, but the person calling it a plot hole, um, has missed the, has missed that explanation. Right. Um, and, uh, kind of the thesis of this video, I think is, um, is these don't matter. Um, and I think that's a little too far, and I think that maybe like part of the, this video is him reacting strongly to kind of this this yeah. um, culture of plot holes that has cropped up. And I think that they do matter to a certain extent, but in kind of like the directional thesis of the video, which is, you know, these don't matter as much as you want them to matter, as much as Cinema Sins, the series, wants them to matter. Um, yeah, because he, he eventually boils it down and says, like, the root of all of this is plot logic. Um, and then he goes on to make the claim that Films aren't logical, right? You don't connect with movies because of logic. And I definitely think that can be true, but I don't think it's definitionally true. And we kind of ended up talking about how there are plenty of films where plot logic is, like, the reason you attend. Basically, any David Fincher movie you've ever watched is built entirely on plot logic, right? It is about the twists and turns in, in the plot. Um, and uh, thrillers are also kind of like this, right? Um, where Whereas a movie like... Um, you know, whatever, Infinity War isn't necessarily built on that same sort of thing. It's more about these characters, and it's more about the action um, and, like, the aesthetics, necessarily, than it is about, like, the, the direction of the plot. At the end of the day, most superhero movies have very predictable plot logic. That's not the reason that you put a butt in a seat for Ant-Man and the Wasp. You put a butt in the seat for Ant-Man and the Wasp because 
you know, you like Paul Rudd making jokey jokes or what, you know, like kind of whatever the reason. You can engage with movies for plenty of different reasons. Um, and I don't think he kind of like adequately addresses that point. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree. Um, in contrast to this is, is the Star is the Last Jedi Plinket review, um, which is everything that this video talks about in kind of ways that are excessive, in ways that, that, I, that I don't even agree with, right? That are like some of the worst examples of this. Um, uh, and that was just kind of like the frame that kind of put us in the mind for, for, for doing this discussion. Um, I was kind of thinking we'd start from like, we'd go through each of these, these types of examples and talk about their like relative validity. Does that sound good to you? Sure. All right. Um, so let's start, let's start with true plot holes, right? Um, uh, how important is, is a true plot hole? Um, and I think like kind of like the, the, uh, uh, the easiest way to kind of like set some boundaries on this is like in your hardcore like detective mystery, a, a plot hole is super important. A true plot hole is super important um, because like part of the the thrill of of watching that movie or or that like television show series is the ability to kind of reason through what's happening yeah. and, and solve it before it happens. Yeah, I think a lot of these are um, these are these are actually like fairly rare. Like it's kind of tough for me to come up with an example offhand. I actually had to go look one up because I really wanted to um, uh, I, I, I really wanted to kind of like get to the bottom like what is an example of a true pro plot hole? And kind of the most recent thing that I could find, have you seen Star Trek Into Darkness? Uh yes. Okay, so in Star Trek Into Darkness, they take Kirk after he gets like, um, uh, after he gets super screwed with the with whatever like the radiation at the end of the movie, and they put him in a cryo tube to preserve his brain function while they desperately try and go get Khan so that they can extract some of Khan's super soldier blood and use it to cure Kirk. But the plot has already set up that Khan's super soldier team are stashed in the cryo tube torpedoes so why couldn't if they they would have had to take one of khan's people out of the cryo tube in order to put kirk in why don't they just end up using that person's blood right that is a true plot hole it is something that is set up by the movie right khan's blood is super blood khan has a bunch of super soldiers that also share his super soldier serum or whatever those super soldiers are in the torpedo they put kirk in the torpedo in order to preserve his brain function until they can get khan right and that's where your plot hole comes in they could have just used the previously set up super soldier blood in the random name nameless super soldier to to save kirk that's a true plot hole but i think a lot of the plot holes that we end up thinking about or talking about aren't um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, part of this is, is, is the, uh, is kind of the, the overuse as Patrick Lim says of the term plot hole. Um, uh, but, uh, yes. So yes, that, that, that is, that is absolutely true. I also think that there is a case for plot holes, not mattering in certain types of movies, right? Like a lot of this also comes down to like things that are called like fridge logic, right? Like you yeah. realize when you're walking to the fridge, that something doesn't make quite make yeah, sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't like hurt you in the moment, uh, but when like afterwards, you're like, "Hey, wait, that kind of wouldn't have worked out as well." Uh, yeah. Also, like, like a lot of this is like plot contrived. Like, um, like, like, um, the one that I've heard talked about a lot is the Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Lost Ark, right? Like, um, if Indiana Jones just hadn't done anything, the plot would have solved itself because they would have opened the ark and killed themselves and. Everything would have been fine. Yep, one hundred percent not uh, not a plot hole. Yeah, that, that's or more a of a plot hole. Right, that, that's more of a, a plot um, contri contrivance. 
Um, uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know how much of a plot contrivance it is. Like, I don't know how necessary it is to, um, like, I don't know how necessary it is for, like, the, I don't know. Like, on one point, I kind of want to say, like, sure, that kind of robs Indiana Jones of all of his agency and all of this other kind of stuff. Um, but, like, I, I, like does that... <sighs> so, so it's... A, it is a plot contrivance, but it's an okay plot contrivance, right? Like, I, I think part, part of the thesis of, of, of this of this discussion is going to be that all of these things are okay in certain, certain circumstances and not in others. And it's okay for, like, things to turn out to have not been necessary, right? Like, that doesn't make the movie any particularly worse but it is a thing that is that is kind of tr that, that that does happen to be true like like and oh that's funny more than a thing that makes it um bad right like um like another one they point that that this this, this i'm looking at about that that particular plot all points out is that um egypt was a protectorate of the british empire when indiana trips the british lost ark takes place so the fact there's a german archaeological crew there in the first place doesn't make a lot of sense right um but that's like also a plot like i would categorize that as, as a plot contrivance yeah um, that is that is just like a can a convenience yeah to, you know I, I i'm not a big fan of attacking plot conveniences because i feel like the end state of that is very boring and lame you know and this is a, this is a point that patrick makes where he kind of talks about like if your goal uh, is to be insanely logical about everything you kind of end up in these situations where your movie is super super boring and i think that that's not necessarily true for true plot holes right um and it's not even necessarily true for like like i definitely do think that if you are a good writer right and you are writing a david fincher movie and he's a good director and you guys can work together you can make a movie that isn't you know like that that doesn't have too many plot conveniences or anything kind of along those lines um but like if you do put a lot of stake into that, the end result of, like, plot conveniences, right? Like, kind of in, like, a your movie sucks kind of way. The end result is pretty negative, right? Like, that's just kind of a... The terminus of that is awful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I, 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 I buy that. Um, in a lot of ways, I think that that's true for both people acting irrationally and plot conveniences. Um, cause I also think that if you have a movie where people act kind of too, like too logically, um, that can, that, that, that also kind of like ends up in the wrong place. Though I will say that I think that there is more leeway there. Um, especially in a movie like The Martian is kind of this. I think everybody in The Martian acts fairly rationally. There's not a lot of, like, impulsive decision-making, right? Um, or reckless decision-making, or somebody makes a call on the fly and it's a bad call. Um, that's just a movie where the stakes are super high, right? If you have a movie where everybody is doing the exact best that they possibly can, but they're in a really tough, impossible scenario, um, I also, I think that people... You can have a movie where everybody acts perfectly logically and perfectly rationally, right? Um, but still be satisfying just because the, uh, the, you know, like the stakes and the world is tough enough on the characters that even that is not good enough, right? Whereas something like a horror movie, because a horror movie isn't, it's hard to get the stakes of a horror movie that high. Um, so you kind of f have to have people acting irrationally because at the end of the day, right? you know, 
Jason is just a guy with a hockey mask and a machete. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the kind of the other end of this people acting irrationally thing and kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum is like, it's all right to have people act rationally. I absolutely agree with the thesis that like not everybody's perfect and that's, and that's fine. But I think there is a limit that comes where like, if you act so stupid as to beggar belief that, um, that can take you out of it too. And I don't think that that's an invalid complaint, right? Like, um, I think the reason this comes up with horror movies a lot, cause there's a lot of schlock, um, where like, like the, the protagonist, like the, the protagonist acts so stupid that it is, um, uh, kind of improbable and, and, makes it a problem and i don't and like in that specific instance i think that like schlock is also a thing that is enjoyable on different terms than maybe the movie wants you to enjoy it on right like it's not mm -hmm. about you getting scared it's about you enjoying the fact this is a goofy movie right um, and i think i think horror in particular has this kind of subgenre of movie that is that is schlocky but enjoyable because it's schlocky and that that's a whole separate discussion um, but it's just kind of the most convenient thing I can I, I can think of, right? Where like yeah, I also think I also think people acting irrationally d kind of discounts uh, th like there is a kind of bad faith version of this that I don't like, which is where um, people say kind of they kind of start like questioning like the characters um, and like the rationality of those characters, like right, like so for instance. Not that this has ever been said by anybody, but this is the kind of flavor of, like, the people acting irrationally thing. When somebody has a point of view, but you just kind of say, like, oh, that point of view doesn't make any... Like, okay, so for instance, Professor X and Magneto, right? A version of this is where somebody goes, Magneto's point of view doesn't make any sense. Can't he see that all he's doing is, you know, making the, the division between mutants and mankind worse and worse? He obviously should join the X-Men and join Professor X because they have the same end goal. That, I think, is a, is, a, um, is a kind of failure on the viewer to properly empathize with, like, the motivation of a character. Sure. Right? Because at the end of the day, right, like, Magneto is motivated by living through the Holocaust and seeing the horrors that human can ro humans can wreak on one another right and fearing that that same thing is going to happen now that he is part of a second minor, like marginalized group instead of just uh being jewish right and so he has a rationality and and both him and professor x are rational but they disagree and i think that that's something that is like a, a, an important piece of kind of the quote-unquote people acting irrationally to preserve right like there are still stakes and conflict between the humans in something like the martian because benedict wong is running the math and he doesn't think that this can work and the hopes and dreams of jessica chastain getting back and rescuing her injured crew member is not enough to like overcome that math right and they are coming to, and they they both have points of view that are rational but they are they're still conflicting right and that conflict is resolved when donald glover um does the math differently right and he thinks outside the box and comes up with a creative solution to that problem do you know what i mean i think yeah. that that's, that's a very important part of kind of plot and movie making where you have to have characters that are working against one another and that are coming into conflict and are creating drama with one another um yeah otherwise and, and, and absolutely and, and i i think that even, even if you don't like work through the fact that you know magneto's position is potentially rational like his reaction of, like, this is going to happen, like, even if, like, you could, like, mathematically prove that, like, you know, Professor X's position is the correct one, um, 
uh, Magneto basically having the gut reaction that this, that this is going to happen again. So my, like, you know, we, we have to fight back. Like the, essentially the Holocaust is going to happen to, uh, to mutants, um, is kind of like a, even if it's irrational, it's still a thing that a person could reasonably expect be expected to a way that the person could reasonably be expected to react and that's yeah. fine yeah uh, i mean thanos is not a rational you know is not a character with a with a uh, a rational kind of like point of view right but we can all understand where he's coming from when he explains himself and i think that that's very important by the way right like this is kind of like ethos right um but like i think that that's an important piece of any you know like any character or any villain it doesn't have to be sympathetic right like i like i like general zod in man of steel a lot but he is entirely unsympathetic right that movie takes the position no don't sympathize with the space hitler right right um, but his point of view still makes sense and he explains it in a way that you can understand where he's coming from even if it is abhorrent and even if the movie says no no this guy is awful like thanos thanos is a good example because he makes it his his ideas make no sense but like he makes them make sense from his point of view but he's also like kind of empathetic and they try and give him pathos i don't know that's a that's a whole different thing um but yeah, so I think that's kind of like a piece of how the people acting irrationally um, can kind of like backfire. And I think a lot of the CinemaSins stuff is this um, in a like anytime you start a anytime you start a criticism with why didn't they just X, Y, Z? Like you're kind of falling into this trap a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm but I, I, like, again, I think that because this, this also works into um, uh, like uh, to plot convenience and um, uh uh, is is like why didn't they just is valid when it is so obvious that like it would like that 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 a beggar's belief again like um I'm gonna probably end up using that that uh that sentence a lot right like um something that I I don't think I'd call a plot I guess it's a plot convenience is in Ready Player One right that first challenge where uh the race happens right like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the fact that the solution is driving backwards is like. You know, literally every gamer looked at that and be like, "That's the thing that would have been tried on the exact the first day of the, of of, of the of the competition, right?" And that is a pl it's a plot convenience that no one's ever tried that, but it is such an obvious thing that anybody who is like familiar with the material would think to do, um, that it beggars belief. And so I think it's a fair criticism, even if it's not like a true plot hole. Does, does that make sense? Hmm. I guess. Boy. Okay. Because I kind of disagree with that one, but I get it. I don't know, man, because that is a tough one. Uh, because I think I get that just because I am, you know, I'm somebody who watches the Summoning Salt YouTube channel, right? And so I kind of understand the, frankly, insane lengths that people will go to kind of break uh to like break games and so sure i think i understand like I, I kind of get that point but i almost have like a certain amount of like hold up wait a second right like i don't think that we should be expecting steven spielberg to have that deep an understanding of kind of like speedrunner or like gamer logic so, so I, I don't i don't even think it's speedrunner right like driving backwards on on a race or like you know heading away from the direction you're supposed to go is like enough of a trope that i think that like like this, this is the type of thing where like um oh that's interesting yeah well because i'm kind of tackling this from the perspective of like um 
as a gamer, that makes sense to me because I am a kind of, you know, like, I think it's a very common thing for gamers to, like, explore every nook and cranny. Right. right? And if and it's also a, a very important thing for if you're a gamer and you uh, come to an obstacle, you try really hard to figure out a way around that. I mean, you would be, it would beggar your belief, the ability I have to jump up mountainsides in World of Warcraft to get mining nodes that have spawned in dumb positions right like and so i think that that is a part of kind of like you know gamers and like the gaming subculture or whatever that like when presented with that failure state i think people do start thinking outside of the box and that would happen but that is an interesting kind of way to think about it from like a tropiness perspective so so, so this is actually kind of interesting because this i think parallels out to um kind of um, profession-specific things that are wrong, right? Like, you know, the one, one of the older ones is, you know, people who write television don't know how computers work mm-hmm. um, type of thing, right? And, like, I think that as the years have gone on, public knowledge about how computers work has grown enough that, like, some of the more cringeworthy versions of this, like two people typing on the same keyboard, um, are... Oh, yeah, to be faster? Yeah. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah right, like, but that's, like, a thing that, like, a thing that maybe when the show first aired, um, like, enough people didn't know how computers worked that, like, maybe it wasn't uh, the the dumbest idea. Um, but now, kind of looking back, like, enough of the population um, knows that that's not how things work, that that looks very silly. Um, and I think that it's kind of like a question of how widespread that... Um, because this comes in, into play all the time with, like, you know, misconceptions about how things work, right? Like, a, a problem that is that is true about modern juries is that people who watch crime shows think that, like, the ability to get convincing evidence is much easier than it is. And so um, they are less likely to convict in some circumstances because they're like, why didn't you just get DNA evidence? It's like, that's, like, actually really hard to do. Um, um, and so, like, at some point that becomes a, a real plot problem when enough of the population knows about that kind of thing. And I wonder where, where that kind of tipping point is, right? Like in that this- is actually, yeah, that is actually very interesting. And I don't know uh, the answer to that. I mean, to a certain extent, I think that we have gotten more and more um, keen on this stuff in general. So this is kind of part of my set, my, like the second half of my thesis, which is the red letter media review is bad. And the reason it's bad is because it's outdated. Like, I actually think, just in the same kind of way that, like, you know, as we become more and more um, uh, attuned to how computers work or to how, you know, I don't know, the legal system works, right? Like, as viewers get kind of, like, more and more savvy, the the demands of the plot need to change, right? And, And this is something that I have intense I, I don't even know how what would you call that dissonance dysphoria like i have like intense dissonance with when i go back and i watch something that is old because like i feel like my standards as a viewer are just kind of like naturally higher um but i also think that my standards for film criticism are just higher than what red letter media puts out anymore right i think um that it was a lot easier to put out a video that was just talking about how, you know, the plot and the characters of Attack of the Clones doesn't make sense 10 years ago because we didn't have a big thriving space for pop culture criticism on YouTube or, you know, kind of wherever else, right? Where people were breaking down these things in kind of very minute detail. Does that make sense? 
And so when when Mr. Plinkett comes out with a review that completely it, it it feels to me like he ignored a lot of these other things, right? Like character arcs and themes and stuff like that in favor of just talking about the plot and the plot logic as filtered through kind of like a cynical gen gen x i mean this is just this is also removing kind of the satirical layer at the same time like a cynical like gen x view on i'm 40 years old and i'm still watching star wars movies um and they kind of haven't grown up all the way with me do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, I, I, like, like I, like you said, I think that there's some level of like who the character of Mister Plinkett is that's kind of like up in the air, and you know, if I'm being uncharitable, maybe it's them, it's them leaving that in there as a way to be like, oh, this unreasonable thing was just Mister Plinkett being unreasonable, even though you know, or like it's something that you want to just bitch about and shield yourself from criticism or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just, just kind of just to examine something really quickly. Um, you, you said kind of red letter media anymore. Are, are you like, are you like totally off board with red letter media or just the Plinko reviews? I, I really don't know what to tell you. This one really got on my nerves, I guess. It's actually funny. Patrick Williams has, has another video. Um, I think it's called like, we need to talk about film criticism. Um, where he kind of talks about this same sort of concept, right? Um, and he says that film criticism is, yeah, it's called we talk. We need to talk about film criticism it's from five months ago, and he and he kind of it's like film criticism is like bigger than this. You know what I mean? Like Roger Ebert was it, and he was really attacking cinema sins here, um, where like it's not about whether or not a movie just kind of makes sense on a gut logical level. It's about whether or not it has good things to say, interesting things to say. It raises interesting thoughts or questions or you know what i mean like any of these any of these other kinds of things like like movies are about more than you know math equations of does the plot logic make sense um and i feel like that's a lot of what they are uh, you know like that's a lot of what he is attacking about the kind of like cinema sense sort of style of review a little bit of like your movie sucks but i think he is a, he is a he's a definitely better than cinema sense even though um and I, and I feel like there is a certain... I feel like I want to keep track of Red Letter Media because I want to know what kind of their audience. Because I think that they do have, like, a core sort of, like, older than us, maybe, you know, like, in their 30s Gen X audience that's very cynical and disillusioned um, kind of by, like, this, the current state of movie making. And I almost sort of want to pay attention just to kind of keep up with that perspective on movies. But I just don't think that they're saying anything profound, Right, it's a, it's a it's a little bit less about what Mr. Plinkett did say in this video, and a little bit more about what he didn't say. Because I've watched fucking a dozen videos by now about people talking about the Last Jedi, and they're just there's just so much more insight to be found anywhere else. Uh, it feels like than here. This is such a surf. It's like scraping the surface. That's it. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, but. but. I still think that there's a place for, like, that kind of an, an analysis, right? Like, in, in, in the same kind of way that, that we talk about, like, you know, like, you, like the fact that it can go further doesn't necessarily mean that it that it has to go further. It's just kind of, like, imperative on, on the viewer to, like, understand that this is only one lens of analysis, right? Yeah, I know, but, like, at what point do we graduate from the first grade reading level of movie criticism? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe this is just because I, I have... I mean, and, and, and I want to be clear, by the way. I'm not just talking about people like, you know, so for instance, Movie Bob has a series of videos like you're wrong about 
The Last Jedi or whatever, where he really goes to bat for it. And he says, this movie is deep and it's complex and there's a lot going on for it or whatever. And I very much agree and identify with that position, right? I've, I'm on record, The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. Um, but, the, the, you know, like, the guys at Wisecrack took the opposite approach and they were like, what went wrong with The Last Jedi? And they took The Last Jedi to task. But even their analysis of why The Last Jedi failed is so much more in-depth because it does talk about character and themes and, like, the world-building and just bigger stuff. And the fact that they could get there in, you know... God, their video, what what went wrong... So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to your point because I, I think it's valid. But, like, I think that kind of, like, the, your, your approach wants to discount the fact that if things go wrong at a lower level, the, the like, you can't build, like, a, a palace on a foundation of, of, of sand, right? Like So, okay, so it's, it's sort of the two things. That video from Wisecrack, which I think is good in the sense that it is valid. I don't agree with it, right? But it is valid thinking, right? Um, it's 16 minutes long. Mr. Plinkett had four times as much time. And so maybe it's just like, at, at that point, it's just like efficiency. You know what I mean? Like the amount of actual insight over time is so low that it just boggles my mind. Because <laughs> I, I, I guess I get what you're saying, but I almost feel like I could cover that in 10 minutes. You don't need to, I don't know. Sure, but like, you know, like that, that's, I, I think, I, you know, that's, that's I think, a, a bad argument because you can go into as much or as little detail as you want about anything as, as long as you've, like, the the fact that you can identify a bunch of things that you think are, are bad plot logic and bad enough plot logic that it hurts the movie, um, uh, the fact that that, that that takes an hour, I think, is, is less a... Uh, is, is less a problem than otherwise because, you know, I obviously, I don't know how you feel percentage-wise about the plate review, but I feel that, like, half to maybe even 75% of that Plinkett review it ha has valid criticisms in it. Um, Boy, I wonder what... I would maybe go lower than that because I think I find a couple of things... Because I, 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 I do agree with some of them, right? Like, the Holdo thing, I think, is a true... Not like plot convenience. Um, I don't know what it is, but it so, is a problem. So, so, it so it is a plot logic problem, right? Let, let, let's talk about the, the, this, this Holdo one because I think it, it, it's, it's a good one, right? Like, like the, basically the two sides of this are like, Holdo has... No, because um, this, I think, falls down several different levels. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's actually mentioned in both ones, right? Doesn't he mention, doesn't Patrick Williams mention in the in the plot holes video that Holdo doesn't tell Poe the plan because Poe just fucked up and she doesn't have time for, you know, I mean, she calls him a trigger-happy flyboy, right? Right. And I, 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 and I think that is one side, and that's not the side I agree with, right? Um, specifically because it is pegged, it is pegged twice. He goes after her the first time, and I think it's okay for her to blow him off, right? But then he stages a mutiny, and all she has to do to defuse this mutiny is tell him the plan, and she refuses to do so. I think that's bad plot logic. I, I um, agree. I actually, I 100% agree with that. And I think and that I, we... Yeah, I think that's where the convenience comes in. And I think we can pull this down, like, a step lower to your deeper analysis point, right? Which is that, like, what is the lesson that we're supposed to take away from this? Which, you know, depending on, on how charitable you want to be about what Holdo is supposed to represent, is, like, are you always supposed to just blindly follow the person in power? Um, uh, are you just supposed to follow Holdo because because she said that, that she had a plan and everything was going to be all right and just blindly put faith in your superiors. And I think that that's like a 
bad lesson, right? Like, if I wanted to be less charitable, like, the less charitable version of this is, you know, you're supposed to listen to Holdo because she's a strong woman or whatever, and I, I don't think we need to engage I mean, with that uh, level. I what, mean, what, uh, pop culture detective Jonathan McIntosh just put out a video where that was basically his thesis. Where the last shit, I mean, he's a feminist, and he views all this stuff through a feminist lens, um, but his thesis was basically that The Last Jedi is about deconstructing kind of uh, the way that male action heroes are kind of like unquestioned uh, by by women and that they need to actually like work together. And boy, I don't know that I agree with that, but I think that's I, I think that is equally as valid as any of the other kind of things I don't agree with, but are logically consistent. I don't know. I haven't seen the video, so I'm not. I'm not going to comment on it. You might hate that video. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure I would, but I, 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 I don't. I don't. Like, we don't need to go in, into super sure, detail sure. about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I think that, like, you know, like, I think these are all like kind of. I mean, I, to, to a certain extent, I agree with the with the Mr. Plinkett criticism that like this isn't something that a good leader who he uses Picard. Yeah. Um, that, that Picard would do. But I also do think that there is, you know, I think the basis version of the counter argument to that is there is a time, you know, like learn your place. There's a time to, to sit down, shut up, follow the chain of command. Right. And that's okay. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> I don't up, agree. I, right. I mean, I don't agree with that, obviously um, specifically because it happens. Like if it had only happened the one time I would be on the other side of this fence, I'd be like, yeah, it is okay. And if like, if, she had rebuked him because he got demoted and he lost all the bombers or whatever, right? And he sets up the mutiny and executes it kind of behind her back without confronting her directly. I would much more be on board with kind of like, no, this is not a plot hole. That is that is justified in the script, right? Um, that's justified in the screenplay. But, uh, but because of that second part where he says, oh my God, please tell me there's a plan or else I am mutinying. And she's like, no. And then he mutinies. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah. to a certain extent, if there is anything that I think is insightful about The Last Jedi Review, it is this idea that, like, The Last Jedi is a comedy of errors or a screwball comedy. I don't necessarily agree with that either, uh, but I feel like that is kind of the only new thing that Mr. Plinkett brought to the conversation. Yeah, no, I actually thought that was super fascinating, too, which is maybe why I'm a little bit more on board with it. Like, he said that, and it kind of resonated with me a little more. Um, and, may, like, this kind of, like, to me, like, my view has always been that the Last Jedi is a flawed movie, but one that is ultimately ends up on the side of, on the, on the like right side of the line, mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's my more tolerance for kind of more screwball comedy elements because because that, that that does make sense to me. Yeah, uh, I mean it's funny because I'm I, <laughs> I guess I don't have that same sort of tolerance, but I ultimately think that that is untrue, um, and that he's essentially committing the quote unquote people acting irrationally plot hole, um, because I do think that there is a space for kind of like bad decisions multiplying on one another that isn't just a comedy thing like i think that that happens in other movies the obvious example to me being horror movies right um where like are all horror movies screwball comedies because there are there are these bad decisions that are multiplying like well, well, when oh, the let's not bring our phones to the you know to I mean, the whatever you know like all that other kind of stuff like i don't know i just feel like that is just at a certain point, that's just movies right. when you kind of zoom out far enough. Sure, but I, but I would also argue that, like, at the point where it becomes egregious, that's where you enter schlock, and schlock is, I think, on the same plane as a screwball comedy, right? Like, uh, when, when you're enjoying a horror movie for the schlock factor rather than for the, the, the horror factor. Um, yeah, and you th but you would say that you would say that The Last Jedi crosses that threshold as well? Um, I don't know if it crosses that threshold, but 
my personal ability to appreciate those like elements um is 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 kind of where i like i'm willing to forgive the sins more like i think that like the specific point about parking the ship on the beach um i think can, yeah. can kind of is is probably less on the fair side um, I might accept an argument either way, but the the one where like they like you know they release the fucking deer but leave the the, the children enslaved is is um more on the is more on the like this is a bad decision side. Yeah, really. see, I also think that the Plinket review spent essentially an inordinate amount of time on the Canto bite sequence, which uh, I just felt like the, the the core of that movie to me is Luke and Ray. Um, it's kind of like Luke and Ray is the A plot, right? And then the B plot, also A plot, is Poe and the fleet and like Leia and all that stuff, right? So those two are kind of simultaneous. And to me, the Canto bite sequence is like the D plot. And so spending all of that time kind of criticizing Finn and Rose on the Canto bite side of things to me also felt kind of like weirdly disingenuous because it's just kind of not what most of the movie is about and i and in a weird way i don't know if how valid even i feel like that's a little unfair do you know what i mean um but i also think that you know the there's so much that happened between luke and and ray that didn't get addressed in the plinket review that i feel like it's a glaring hole in their criticism sure i i i can buy that um but i will also say that i think that like the canto bite plot is important because a lot of it hinges on it right like i think kind of maybe a thing that that, that, that either went on set or I'm, or I'm just not recalling enough is that like the the point about trusting um oh what's his name uh uh del toro um not uh Benicio del toro that that's his name um uh, his character like in a like quote unquote normal Star Wars moving trusting him is okay because this is a story about heroes um Right, and like he turns out, you know, like he's he, he comes and does the bad thing or does does the good thing, um, and like that, like, like it's 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 the, the way it's kind of painted is that like the only way that him betraying them makes sense is if trusting him is a bad decision, um, and that only fits in kind of the the screwball comedy mold. See, I see because I I actually think that that is not a good. I think that that's kind of a shallow sort of lens because it views everything outside of kind of like probability or like even like risk reward. Like, I think that there is a kind of risk reward aspect to certain aspects of this movie, right? Where you have to take a risk and maybe it pays off, maybe it doesn't, right? And a lot of the time in movies like this, it does pay off where people take like hugely risky actions and those things end up getting, you know, like, kind of, like, catching up against the, the opponent. It's a, it's a really easy way to kind of deal with, like, stakes, right? Where, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the bad guy is so far ahead of the heroes, right, and that's creating drama and stakes, the heroes need to take big risks in order to, like, recoup their losses in, in the progression to whatever the end goal of the story is. And those risks usually pay off. And this is one of those times where that risk didn't pay off. Like, I kind of feel like that's a fair way to look at it. Um, and that it's not about whether or not it's a good or a bad decision. It is just, it is a risk, and it's a risk they had to take. Otherwise, they just stay in jail for the rest of the, do you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, I, I think part of it, too, is, like, how it's painted, right? Like, 
I, I forgive me, I haven't seen The Last Jedi in a while, but like taking Benicio Del Toro on, I don't think he's ever presented as a huge risk. Um, and I think that's part, like, that that's part of the thing, right? Like, if they if they presented it as more of like being like we have to take a chance on them, it turns out they're wrong, right? Like, because the, the 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 kind of comparable scene to to the actual best Star Wars movie, Jedi, uh, or not Jedi, um, Empire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, that's um, funny. <laughs> but the, the comparable scene is trusting Lando, right? Because Lando also betrays them, right? But like, I think that is presented as being a big risk. Like they're on the run and they have like no other option and and han is like he's, he's either going to be super friendly or he's going to hate the fuck out of me right um and then she shows up and the scene is tense and then he gives him a hug um right like that kind of like level of of tension is built in and i don't feel like that was necessarily built correctly around um uh around benicio del toro's character um yeah i don't know i i'm of the opposite opinion i think that it is appropriately kind of within the pl- i mean because they make a point of this in the Plinkett review that they don't trust him at first and that he breaks himself out of jail as kind of a display of his abilities or whatever and then they decide to to take him on and work with him and then he kind of um and then he does the same thing again uh when he gets the ship for them to help them like escape from the planet. So I think that there is kind of like a building trust right to to there and they are skeptical of him i mean they're even skeptical of him on the ship when he has to kind of like own them a little bit about the weapons dealers selling to both sides in the war right you know what i mean yeah i know um maybe part of this too is like i think maybe there's like a a point that's like where the total dissonance like the, the the a criticism of total dissonance is being wrapped into um is being wrapped into a kind of plot hole thing as kind of justification. Because yeah. um, I do, th- like, especially especially in the context of those deleted scenes they showed clips from. Um, I don't know how valid that is. I think I think that you can make arguments on either side for it. That, yeah. like, that Canto Bite, the tone of Canto Bite isn't correct for what the movie is supposed to be. And that just kind of gets, like, wrapped into a, 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 a uh, wrapper of being a plot hole. Um, or a you know a movie blasphemy, um, uh, in order to kind of justify that, and you know maybe that's a you know that's a wrong thing to do, and maybe that's a thing you can attribute to Plinkett rather than the Red Letter Media guys. But I, that that's so the level of that I'm not is, willing to so engage interestingly, with. this is something that I think is very pertinent, and it's the reason that I feel like we have like we have discussions about this. I think people fear kind of subjectivity. When it comes to discussing like art, essentially, like this goes beyond movies, um, but specifically, like they fear that kind of level of subjectivity when it comes to the movie, and they want to justify their beliefs through something that is more objective than just that subjective lens, right? Um, because, and and that's why I feel like people get on the plot logic level of these kinds of criticisms because it is more it is it feels more valid and more kind of rooted in in um you know like absolutes because it's not as subjective because you are sitting here and you're talking about the like the logic and you're not talking about something like you know this idea that the movie presents i think is icky and gross and 
that that made me not like the movie, right? Because you know what I mean. If I say if I say I don't like Infinity War because Thanos is an abusive father to Gamora, and the movie portrays his abuse as love, right? And I think that's bad. That is a subjective, you know, like this is a very subjective reading of it, right? And somebody else could just say, "Oh, well, I don't agree with that," right? But you have this kind of desire to to sort of be agreed with, right? Of course, and so. Instead, you make the criticism of the movie about, well, why didn't Thor just hit Thanos in the head with his hammer? Why did he go for Thanos' chest? Doesn't that leave Thanos... You know what I mean? And so, because if I turn my if I turn my criticism from that subjective lens into the more objective... I mean, it's all subjective, but into the more objective kind of, like, plot analysis, plot logic lens, it is, quote-unquote, more valid criticism, right? And I think that's the reason that this is coming... And I'm ready for... I'm so excited for this. And I think the best example of this is Zack Snyder's Batman vs. Superman. Oh, my God. And it, because, well, it's relevant because Patrick Williams literally talks about it in the end of the movie, right? I mean, he talks about it as though the, that there are plot holes, right? Um, that, you know, Superman should have given Wonder Woman the, the kryptonite spear in order to kill Doomsday because she's immune to kryptonite. And, I mean, I understand that, right? But the logic of the movie clearly sets up that they that. Superman it is a last ditch effort and Wonder Woman needs to lock him in place with her lasso of truth in order for Superman to deliver that death blow, right? Um, and so while, you know, like, while I might agree, hypothetically speaking, if they could all sit down and plan out their attack, the point is, these are three people who have just started working together for the first time. I mean, I'm not going to go into it. The whole point is, that fight scene is very good about setting this stuff up, and if you follow the logic of the fight scene, that's not a plot hole, right? But something that came up when we were talking about this is our friend Nick, who I'm not trying to put on blast because I understand where he's coming from, and I kind of want to defend his point. Our friend Nick mentioned the Martha moment as a plot hole. Right. Where he said the biggest plot hole is Martha. Right. And I said, that's not a plot hole. That's a character hole. Right. Because that moment is about character. It's about these characters. And if you don't buy that moment, it's not because the plot didn't set that moment up. It's because the characters didn't set that moment up. And you don't have the connection to the characters that you would have otherwise had, right, in order to justify that moment. I did have that connection, so that moment worked for me, right? And it worked for however many other DCEU fans are constantly talking about releasing the Snyder Cut on the DCEU subreddit and have, you know, Zack Snyder's jesus face or whatever as their twitter like icons or whatever but i think that is a but that's that's the point i think people don't like that movie and i and i think the consensus is against that movie because of those subjective qualities because they didn't like the characters they didn't like the themes it's not because they didn't like the plot in the same way but you want to justify that stuff by justifying it around the plot because that is more do you see what i'm saying because that is more kind of like tangible in sure. fact the worst offender of this is actually man of steel which has a pretty tight plot but people pick holes in all the time because they just kind of don't like the 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 flavor of superman that that movie is and i get that and i think that that's a valid thing and that the, the solution to this is to be more accepting of saying you know what that superman is a bad flavor of superman let me talk about why right but so that's my that is my all like kind of overarching thesis that's the reason that we get so hung up on plot logic um is because people kind of fear that level of subjectivity when they when they're talking about movies so i'm, I'm actually with you um near 100 percent. I, I i just kind of want to add a caveat that like that fear isn't necessarily always conscious i think that there i think that the kind of like mm, mm, mm. um the, the way that this happens is you watch a thing you're like that thing was bad 
why was that bad? And when you go to look at it, um, maybe this is part of like the plot hole culture, but the first thing you go to is the plot logic. Absolutely. And, yeah, and you hang I it agree on. with that 100%. Okay. Um, yeah, I, do... I mean, I, like, this is interesting because, um, you know, I obviously, uh, like, w w I, I, we talked about and studied this stuff in college or whatever. Um, and there was a lot of, the, the people put different hierarchies on things, right? Like, I had professors that said, the most important thing in your writing is your characters, right? Make good characters, and your writing will be good. And then I had other professors that were like, the most important thing in your writing is plot. If your plot doesn't make sense, your your thing is bad. And then I had other professors that were like, the most important thing is your theme. If you're not saying something interesting with your work, why are you, why are you doing it, right? And the truth is kind of all of those things, right? Um, and that the more we try and create like an absolutist answer, and right now I feel like the absolutist answer that our culture is trying to create is plot logic, right? Uh, the worse off we'll be. And this is, this is also the same hole that I think Patrick Willems falls down because he wants to discount like engaging with a movie on a logical level. And I think that that is something that is valid for plenty of movies out there, right? I think Zodiac is a fucking amazing film and it's amazing for a lot of different reasons right but the plot logic of it is the most engaging piece if you've never seen that movie what happens next and why is the part of it that is most exciting right and so the, it, it is this kind of like i don't know it's this kind of like zero-sum game that there is a hierarchy and something will always be at the top of that hierarchy and we just need to find out what it is. Is it plot? Is it characters? Is it themes? Right? When the truth is there are different hierarchies for different kind of like lenses to be put to this stuff. Sure. I, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm absolutely okay with that. We are agreeing so much more than I thought. I was so yeah. ready to fight. You have no idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I think I think we got the worst of the fighting out in in, in the Facebook series. Probably better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Probably. Better I was also a little like willfully obtuse, right? Like. Yeah. To a certain extent. <laughs> sure. No. Absolutely. I I I'd be lying if I said I wasn't guilty of that sometimes myself. Um. Um. I kind of actually do want to dig into this Martha example a little bit more. Um, okay. Because I, I think this is a fascinating example, right? Like. Like, when we talked about this, I said that I think it sounded good on paper but didn't execute well, and I still kind of right. uh, agree with that. Um, so would you say, like, it, thinking about it kind of in this lens, it's like, I don't, I find it, I find it hard to believe, maybe is the best way to put it, that um, if Superman was crying out for his mother, he would cry out Martha instead of mom, right? Like, that's, that's kind of, like, the, I, I think the biggest sticking point. There. And you, you would call that, like, a failure of character development or character a character hole as you Boy, kind of I don't know what I would I don't know what I would call it in, in a certain sense I would almost call that like because so I like so okay just to like my rubric the way that I break down this stuff uh, do you know have you have you ever heard of Aristotle's poetics have I ever talked about this on the cast you might have refreshed uh, Arist so Aristotle who's the uh, Aristotle we all know basically um, listed out kind of a, like one of the first pieces of essentially media criticism is called the poetics. And it's his kind of breaking down how tragedies work, uh, like Greek tragedies work, right? And we get a lot of terms from this, like catharsis um, is the big one, right? Like his whole thing about media is catharsis, right? You go to whatever it is, the theater, but like in our case, film and TV shows to 
empathize with the characters and feel the emotions that they are feeling, whether they are fear or anger or joy or whatever it is, right? And the, over the course of the story, those emotions build up and then are released. And that's the cathartic moment, right? That's where catharsis comes from. Um, but in the, in the poetics, he lays out um, a descending order of six important things that are the building, the, like the, the foundational puzzle pieces of any piece of media. Um, they are in order, plot, character, theme, setting, aesthetic, and spectacle, right? Which is kind of like, and to, I'm, I'm translating a little bit here, like technically aesthetic is called melody because um, uh, Greek tragedies were like sung and stuff like that. Right. But really what he's talking about is just kind of, I mean, quite literally just aesthetics um, for like what it looks like. And, and, and that's descending order um, by what tends to be, you know, like what tends to be kind of important. And so I always like to think about these things in those sort of specific terms, right? Like when I talk about logos, ethos, pathos, right? Those are linked to those top three, right? Logos is plot logic, pathos is characters, uh, and ethos is themes, right? Um, and those are also, like that, that's also like an Aristotelian sort of like idea and like rubric. And so when it comes to they didn't execute on the Martha moment well because Clark would have said his mother like mom or whatever instead of saying Martha I don't know which of those categories it falls down into right because it kind of makes sense like from a plot perspective do you say oh well according to like the plot of the film he wouldn't have said Martha right or according to the the character like Superman's characters at a character hole because the character would have said mom and the thing is, uh, really what I, and so, and so I don't know. And so th th that's my point. I don't really know where that falls into, but I will say, um, that, uh, the answer to that is that he's not calling out his mom's name. Like as he's dying, he's trying to tell Batman to go save his mom. Right. So he says, save Martha. Do you know what right, I mean? Right. Right. That, 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 that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I'm so ready for like I, I think I think boy do I think BVS is like ripe for these kinds of um, <laughs> do I think BVS is like ripe for these kinds of like weird misinterpretations? A lot of it is just because Zack Snyder is a weird guy with a labyrinthine brain, and it's like he puts stuff on paper that is confusing, obviously. Right. Um, but like the Wonder Woman thing, right? Like I think if you read the nobody says in that scene that. Wonder Woman can't take the the trident because she is holding the lasso and holding Doomsday in place. In fact, the, like the, this is what I like about the Doomsday fight. In the action of the Doomsday fight, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman all attack Doomsday individually, and Doomsday beats them. This is like the iconic one is probably Superman comes down from space and is using his heat vision, and Doomsday's heat vision blasts him back. Right. That's because Doomsday is more powerful than Superman one-on-one. -on -one. And it's only when they work together where at the very end of the fight, Superman or Wonder Woman wraps him in the lasso, Batman hits him with the kryptonite grenade, and Superman spears him, and they all work together to, to defeat him. Can they defeat Doomsday, right? I think that's the proper way to read the action of that scene, right? From kind of like a plot perspective. This is like what happens. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think if you haven't connected with the plot of the movie, well, this is something else we've talked about before, where like it, it, it is a... Um, it is a uh, like a culmination of a bunch of bad things kind of check you out, right? If you're not on board with that movie at that point, I think it's really easy to just not pay that much attention and not give it that time of day and just kind of say, well, why didn't he fucking give the spear to Lois? Or I'm sorry, not Lois. Why didn't he give the spear to Wonder Woman? 
you know because you're already checked out at that point so yeah give the spirit a lowest yeah yeah she could have done it (laughs) god buddy you discovered a plot hole yeah i know right Um, Um, because i think once you're already checked out like that you're not engaged i mean in a certain sense this is quote-unquote viewers missing details right yeah and i think and i think viewers miss details when they check out of films um, and so if you are somebody who is predisposed, if you are, if you're not on board for what the film is putting down, of course you're going to miss small things like that. To be honest, the Benicio del Toro one in the Willems video is something I'd never even heard of that, like the idea that he didn't know the plan. And I would have agreed that was a plot hole if somebody had told me that on face. Right. But there is the detail in there. So even as somebody who liked the movie, I didn't catch that detail. And I yeah. think there's a lot of that stuff. So, so honest, so, so that's, that's the thing I actually want to um, I, I wanted you to just kind of wrap this all up because this does dovetail into this thing that we haven't talked about a lot, which is like the missing details, right? Like, I think that missing, like, you've missed this detail um, that's actually explained in the movie, I think can be a valid complaint when, like, the, that explanation isn't, like, obvious enough. And obviously, and there's, like, some, some varying scale of that, right? Like, yeah, yeah. if, like, you know, it's on a sign in the background that's visible for, like, half a second but the, you know it fills in this 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 uh this, what otherwise would be a plot hole right mm-hmm. um then maybe that's that's bad filmmaking at some level right or that is bad filmmaking at some level right like this thing that explains your plot hole isn't prominent enough to 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 be picked up um on a uh on a viewing and um basically i guess i want to ask you at what level do you think that those things have to like how prominent do those things have to be? A level essentially is is the uh, is is it a bridge too far? So I am of the opinion uh, this this kind of colors my whole like I feel like movie watching ethos. <clears throat> I am of the opinion that we should try and be as charitable as possible, right? Um, like this is something that Roger Ebert that Roger Ebert has said before, where it's like you don't want to. Um, you want to give the you want to give the movie its shot on its own terms, right? And you want to try and like you want to try and uh, if if there's ever a kind of a toss up, you want to you want to let it fall on the good side of things, right? Why did this work, um, sort of thing? Because otherwise, I do feel like you just kind of like fall down this cynical sort of like spiraling rabbit hole. Um, but I definitely do think that there is a line, and I don't have a good answer for where that line is because I have definitely thrown that in people's fucking faces before when something is so, when something is like what I would consider a crucial detail, right? But is hidden to to whatever extent behind. I can't think of a great example of this, um, but like where somebody like pulls that out and is really like kind of like smug about it, like oh that totally works because he said such and such. And you're like look. If, the, if that detail is so important, it should be more pronounced than that. Right. And I think that that's a fair criticism in some cases. I just can't really think of what cases... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I think I think it's a hard line to draw, right? Like, um, an example kind of on the other side is um, we were re-watching The Fifth Element, um, and in one part of that movie, uh, like, the monk climbs into, like, the landing gear of, of, of the craft and, like, hides in, like, the, the wiring of the ship. Yeah. Um, and uh, a friend, friend of the show, Alexio, again, not to put him on blast, is like, how did he survive there? Like, why, like, why would that all be pressurized, right? Like, why, why is that all, um, you know, how, how does he survive that flight inside the legs? It's like, well, he crashes out through the, through the main body of the plane. Um, it's pressurized, like, but why would it be pressurized? It's like, well, like, you no, know, my response to that is kind of, you know, 
Well, the fact that he survives indicates that it is pressurized, right? Because, like, the, the fact that he's there means that it works. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Right, like, and I, like oh, I'm totally, like, I think that that's fine, but, like, if it, instead it had been, like, you know, um, you know, Indiana Jones rides the submarine um, on the on the outside of the submarine through the ocean, right, for, like, 2,000 miles. Like, how the hell does that work, right? Like, it's like, you know, well, obviously it works because he survived, I think, is, is something that maybe needs a little bit more attention than that, right? Like, I, I think... Yeah, it, I mean, I think it is, it is a tough thing to get to the other side of um, because... So, like, a true plot hole is only when something has been sort of established in the plot already that has been contradicted right yeah and so like is it a plot hole that indiana jones survives on the outside of a submarine well no because it's not like the the plot of the movie ever you know it's not like indiana jones had a conversation or or something with like fucking whoever um and was like, hey, did you know that you can survive on the outside of a submarine or whatever? And he was like, set up beforehand. Or on the or or he said the opposite, where he was like, hey, did you know that you can't survive, you know, on the outside of a submarine when you go under, you know, like underwater um, and stuff like that? Because like if that had happened, it would have been a true plot hole. But there is a certain part where it's just kind of like, listen, all movies take place in the real world, and we do make a lot of assumptions about the way physics works you know like right or whatever else and so like is it a plot hole that in the movie skyscraper if you chart out Dwayne the rock johnson's jump from the crane to the building the parabola actually doesn't make any sense at all and he would have fallen to his death right because there was too much distance it's like boy how do you answer that <laughs> like yeah like and, and you know i i think i think there's some place for like I think that's not necessarily like a piece of media criticism, but like you know, like you know, like uh, physics in movies. Like actually, this wouldn't have worked out. It's like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Doesn't necessarily affect the plot, but like, I mean, that's to me. This is the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I know you do, but I don't begrudge Neil deGrasse Tyson taking, you know, taking kind of dad joke pot shots at movies because I think it's kind of all in good fun. He's trying to like teach people yeah. things or whatever, right? Like he's like, oh, you know. This wouldn't, you know, in the vacuum of space, it wouldn't work that way because this is the, how the vacuum of space works. Like, I feel like that's, like, good faith in a way that something, like, I don't know. I, Some of these aren't. If uh, yeah, I, I, I also think that with Neil deGrasse Tyson specifically, there's, like, uh, a feeling of smugness that, like, like, there, there are some things that I think that are more valid than others. It's like, if, like, you know, like, actually, Friday the 13th is no different than Thursday the 12th. It's like, shut the oh, fuck yeah, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that, okay, those ones are true. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, there's no solar significance. Yeah, yeah. fucking, uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, and, and so there's, like, there's this is kind of, like, a, like, th that's, like, about Neil deGrasse Tyson as a person that kind of, like, builds up. But I, I think you're more or less right about that. But, like, I think this wraps in this kind of concept of, like, how much of the real world is part of the plot. Um, yeah. I mean, like, the Big Bang Theory makes this joke about the original Superman movie, right, where Lois Lane falls into Superman's arms or whatever, but he he points out that if Lois Lane was falling for as long as she was falling, she would have been going so fast that she would have hit his arms because he was flying up when he catches her, right? He doesn't break her fall right, at all, right? right? He, she would have just trisected herself, I guess, um, and been cut in ha and cut in thirds around around his arms because that's how physics works or whatever like yeah there are certain things in movies that don't work according to how physics 
say they should work, and I feel like movies would be worse if we held them to that highest standard. Yeah, I mean, but you know that's lampshaded in Incredibles, right? Like that—that's like what causes superheroes to be outlawed. Yeah. Is exactly that plot point. Um, uh, which I, I, I don't know. Like I, I think that the, again, as yeah. with all these other things we talked about, there's a line, right? There's a line where it beggars belief, right? Like. Um, and where it's 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 okay and where it's not, and I think and I think part of the problem is is that line is inherently going to be subjective, like how how much you're you're personally willing to forgive, um, and that's I think where we get into some of these arguments, yeah. right? And I also think to a certain extent the movies themselves are at fault here, um, and I will point the finger so fucking hard at the Avengers in 2012 because I think the bathos the bathos humor that they kind of came out with and picking holes in not just you know like and because i think that's a really destructive thing to do um where you are picking holes in the story as you are telling the story and subverting these things right and i'm a little bit more tolerant of in the last jedi i don't think it's quite as bad as people get at but yeah like i think the you know i don't know i've turned i've come around on this one i think in the, in our last jedi video i sort of defended this moment um, with like the your mom phone call in the beginning, right? I think that stuff is bad because it's destructive to the world of the story, right? It's the same thing with like the, the it's the same thing with like the parking outside. If they had ne like parking on the beach or whatever, they could have cut away from that and never addressed it. They could have gone on and none of us would have would have blinked an eye. But because they used it as a plot point, it not just further devalues like the world of the story itself, right? Like the world of Last Jedi itself, because it is raising the logic bar that it needs to clear, right? But I think it's yeah. also raising the logic bar of other movies to clear, and I think that this is true of all Marvel humor in all of these kinds of you know, like in all of these kinds of movies, and it works for Marvel in in some sense, in, like instances, right? I think it works in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because it's very character driven and character motivated, right? Um, and so, you know, when Peter Quill says, you know, if my dick did have a hand, I could have landed the ship or whatever, right? Like that kind of stuff is, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like it's very destructive and I, and I love Teen Titans Go and I love community and I love these kind of like postmodern, you know, movies or whatever. But I think unless they are kind of quarantined to their kind of comedy um they're kind of like comedy space you do run into these sorts of problems in other things right the last jedi is a movie that has a lot of bathos humor and that bathos humor undermines the you know it undermines the stakes of the story this is what i always complain about with marvel movies yeah. right like this stuff undermines the stakes of the story because it's undermining the world the story is taking place in um and I, and I feel like, you know, even if I don't think the plot structure criticism of the screwball comedy thing is 100% on the money, I absolutely think that that version of it is, right? Where when the jokes are this specific brand of joke, it undermines the other aspects of the movie. You can't turn around and tell me that Kylo Ren extending his hand to Rey is as dramatic a moment when it also is a movie that includes, you know, whatever, this other stuff. You get it. Yeah, right? Like, you, you could imagine a version where Kylo Ren extends his hand and, then like, it's like, pull on my finger instead, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he extends his hand and Rey, and Rey is, like, slowly, and the camera, like, zooms in on her face and, like, sweat is coming down. Such an important decision. And she's, like, slowly going in for it. And then he just goes, too slow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That would be funny. We both laughed, 
but it would so undermine like yeah. the drama of the movie. Yeah, and, and I, I know. Like I like I still stand by what I said, which is that the Last Jedi is better about it than something like The Avengers was um, at quarantining the comedy to the comedy and the plot to, and like the drama to the drama. Right? This is this is why Avengers. I have a tough time with Avengers because there are moments that are dramatic. Like Loki is about to give his crazy. You know, he's about to give his speech for why he is doing what he is doing right as he is about to lose the fight, and the Hulk just like whips him around like a rag doll, and that's funny. Sure, but I think that really kills the drama of this climactic kind of moment. And I don't think that The Last Jedi has that specific... It's not that bad when it comes to the to the bathos, but I think anytime you're going to have bathos movie in a... Or bathos humor in a movie that's otherwise taking itself seriously, you're going to run into this trouble. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to say it's worse than The Last Jedi because I kind of am expecting The Avengers to be... To be like that movie, to be that, that, that funny movie. Um... And like you know, I I think I think you've got a point that like you could you that you could make the argument that uh it should be more dramatic, um but like the fact that Star Wars at least in my mind is supposed to be more heroic, um that makes those bathos moments worse by contrast if that makes sense right like they're they are sorer thumbs, um uh, that's probably a bad one but it, you know it's it's the fact that it's a moment of bathos that, that like sticks out so hard from the baseline is 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 worse, um. But you know we've we've uh, we've over overshot the time on on this segment. Did, did you did you want to finish out any other thoughts on this? Because I think it's a big good discussion. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I do want to say that um, I think something like Teen Titans Go, which engages in this, is good. Like I'm, I'm not trying to shoot on Bathos humor right. in general, right? Like I think it, it's really funny in Teen Titans Go. Man, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> because of this stuff. And I even think that in a in something like Community, which engages in this kind of humor a lot, but is also very good-spirited about it. Um, there's a uh, there's actually a YouTube video about this too that's like the problem with irony. Um, and it kind of charts a path from sort of like Seinfeld almost, where everything is ironic um, and deconstructive kind of. I don't agree with this read on Seinfeld, the TV show, by the way, but it is a popular one where they say like Seinfeld is a show about nothing. These characters never like grow or or change, um, and so it's a sitcom that is deconstructing sitcoms because it refuses to have like the sappy sitcomness of it. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. I kind of like get that or whatever, right? Um, but uh, I think that cynicism is uh, ultimately kind of harmful and it, and it is this thing where you can never engage with something in a real way um and in a certain sense this uh, this kind of like reflects back on some of the other sort of like plot logic stuff we were talking about like you can never engage with something in a, in a real way you have to engage with it through this lens of irony because if you do it ironically right you're not doing it sort of like seriously and something like community i think is the opposite of that because i think community has bathos and it's postmodern, right and it is and it is deconstructing our you know like the way we tell stories and stuff like that but it is ultimately affirming of those things right like it it abed will be han solo or whatever but it ultimately affirms that that effect of 
that is cool and that is fun and these people are really friends right and at the end of an episode where jeff says hey you guys are really good friends and i'm sorry i don't treat you as well as i should that's a real you know even though we are deconstructing sitcoms all the time like that is a very tropey sitcom thing to do and it's something that we are doing kind of like earnestly and sincerely and i think that that's like possible and i want to i just want to give a quick shout out to that being something that should be encouraged i guess yeah, no, that, that makes that makes total sense to me. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up this particular topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, how's how was your week? Uh, pretty good. I played a lot of uh, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. I haven't finished it because it's so dumb, um, like like the the cool tierist side of things. Um, but I do have to say that my worst fears have been proven true, and cool tierist is worse from a questing perspective uh, than, than Sandalar oh, was. No. Um, yeah, well, so originally it was just Stormsong Valley because I did Stormsong Valley and there there's like eight storylines or whatever. And the main the main thing is about like this Cthulhu cult or whatever, kind of um, like this Deep Ones cult um, that is taking over like the zone or whatever. But that's only half the stories. And I was complaining about this because it's like I finished that line of the story. And when I was doing Zandalar, each time you finish a storyline in Zandalar, you finish on the dungeon, right? The biggest kind of like climactic moment um, of the of the storyline. Like there's typically like a big villain and you defeat the big villain or you defeat the big villain in the dungeon or whatever or the big villain releases something that's going to be delete, defeated in the dungeon, kind of whatever else it is, right? Um, but it always comes at the, like the very end. So when you are doing these lore master quests, you are, even if you have like a, a side road, right? Like the Temple of Akunda or something in, um, in Voldoon, which isn't itself about the main quest, but it ties into the main quest because you need to do the temple of Akunda in order to get this plot critical character who will give you the breadcrumb to go here or there or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Um, the, the cool Tira zones kind of didn't have that. Drusvar did, which is the, the kind of like the witcher zone with all the witches, um, uh, and stuff like that. So Drusvar had that kind of, you end the zone, on the lore master achievement and the dungeon opening up for you and the kind of like big kind of storyline sort of reveal, but both Tiragard Sound and um, uh, and Stormsong Valley didn't, uh, and I think it just sucks to be honest with you, um, because it, it gives this weird impression where like you're following the like the breadcrumbs and then you get to the and then you get like get to the dungeon and you're sitting there and you're like wait how do I finish the the storyline achievement and then you have to go and like participate in like one of the storylines in Tiragard Sound is to like go participate in this like horse show it's like dog and pony show or whatever and I was like what the fuck am I doing like I'm 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 dealing with like the fate of Boralus and the Proudmore family or whatever and so to go from like that level of drama and just kind of like fall off because you need the achievement because you need all three achievements in order to unlock the pride of Kultiris questline or whatever god it's so frustrating plus the the pride of Kultiris questline which is the Kultiris side of uh Zandalar Forever is immensely frustrating compared to Zand Zandalar Forever because you have to do the dungeons again uh which is like why um so i don't know it just bo it just boggles me i just like wanted to get into a scenario and see what like the big reveal was or whatever and now i'm doing these like fetch quests where it's like oh i know you already did this dungeon as part of the story but you have to go kill all of these bosses again and it's like i don't mind that from a from a like a lore 
perspective or whatever that we continually farm these bosses and these bosses get harder when we put mythic keystones in or whatever like fine that's all simulation shit but when in the story of the game you end you end a zone on you need to go kill this guy in shrine of the storms or whatever and then later and then you do and then later it's like you need to go kill this guy in shrine of the storms and you're like what bitch i just did that i don't know it's frustrating yeah no that, that, that makes a lot of sense i haven't really touched wow since uh since yeah it's a while ago you by the way will love uh i'm sure that they're uh, like if you were put like the the effort into getting um uh, in the effort into getting like allied races that you would love um what's his face uh you would love the cool because there's a certain cool quest um for what are called the outriggers and their whole thing is just like leviathan hunters oh, they go nice. out and they kill yeah they go out and they kill like kraken and leviathan and threshadons and shit and it's very cool it's very awesome yeah no it, it sounds like it um yeah in, in terms of me i've been playing i i beat hollow knight um i beat everything but like the kind of hardcore challenges and that that game is uh, astounding um that's good it's like 30 something hours um and so I, I don't like drawing, like, Dark Souls comparisons for, for a lot of... I think it's overdrawn, but, like... <laughs> the Dark Souls of something or yeah. other. Yeah. It's, it's, usually that means that it's difficult. And this game is difficult, but it's not, like... It is not Dark Souls in its combat, but it is in a lot of ways. Um, essentially, like, the story is kind of told piecemeal through, like, very little piece, and you have to put a lot of stuff together yourself. Um, uh, it's kind of got some of that difficulty in that, like, you're doing boss runs and you have to recover your dropped souls... Um, in the same kind of way, it's, it's called Geo, but it's, it's the same kind of thing. Um, but it's also just like a really deep game. It's great Metroidvania and that kind of style. Um, basically, uh, you're, you've got like a base set of powers, which is like some minor spell casting, which is like a projectile and upper, upper, an upwards attack and a downwards attack. Um, and you've got your, your sword, your sword swipe. Um, and the other thing is, is you equip these, uh, different, uh, badges they're, they're called charms um and they do different things and the cool thing about it is while i have kind of like a general set that like suits suits my place that what you're really what you really do is when you're fighting these bosses is you pick out a charm set that's tailored to that fight um and it's i feel weird about it because it's like it's, it's definitely designed so that like you're like that you're you're like playing the boss fight at least twice so that like you're you're feeling out of strategy and putting things in there, right? Like the chance of you beating a boss in the first try is relatively low. Um, but I still think that that's um, a lot of fun. Like it, it lets you, it forces you to kind of like play with diverse play styles. There's multiple endings. Um, there's a lot of secret areas, a lot of cool stuff that I, I don't think I would have ever figured out on my own that I kind of like stumbled into through like reading a little bit of stuff on, on the different wikis. It's kind of got this like, like I said, the, the lore is like so convoluted that you get like, there's, there's somebody on uh, on YouTube, I think his like, name is Mossy G, I'll link him in the description, um, uh, that does, like, Vati like, it's not as, like, uh, you know, uh, 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 as kind of, like, theatrical as, as, as Vati's videos about Dark Souls are, um, but they're definitely kind of in there as, like, um, in terms of, like, you know, this is how complex the lore is and how the things that you have to analyze in order, in order to understand everything that's really going on. And, like, fan theories about, like, who's what and, you know, how, how things are, are going out. And uh, um, just a really, really great, really solid game. Um, um, also, the, the kind of optional content um, that's, like, super hard is, like, ridiculous. Um, I tried some of it, some of the platforming content, because I like that. And, like, I got through, like, a couple different things before I kind of bowed out for a little while. And then I, like, watched somebody do it. I'm like, I'm not doing all of this. This is 
ridiculous. Um, but if you wanted to spend the time with it, it's there for you, right? Like you, you can do that if you want. And I, I just, I have to highly recommend it to everybody. Um, it is, like I said last week, it's free LC complete. Um, uh, and there's a piece of DLC coming at some point for uh, one of the side characters, Hornet, which I will definitely be interested in checking out. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Hollow Knight. Well, that is uh, that is cool. That is very cool. I think. Um... Uh, so I, I had I had a follow up to last week that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, okay, okay. What's uh, that? Um, so it's about specifically about this create food and water thing, because um, I think that our discussion last week was all all valid and whatnot. Um, but I wanted to press you specifically on on the specific issue of create food and water in this potential survival campaign in Pathfinder 2e. Um, okay. I've got a couple different things. Um, I uh, want to be clear that that was more hypothetical. Uh, I haven't actually like sat down and sure. read the new the new spell book and stuff like that. So it is possible that it is more tolerable than uh, sure. you know the kind of what I was using to make the argument at the time. Sure, and, and I absolutely, you know, like, I, I think your argument in theory is, is fine. I just wanted to bring up some specific things, and, and kind of, I'll start a little bit more general, but, like, um, I don't think I, I properly pressed you on, on the question of, like, what are you doing instead of, like, if instead of using Create Food and Water, what is the character doing instead, and is that is that just making a skill roll, and I'm not super happy with that. Um, and I can't quite remember what your answer to that was. Oh, okay. So the 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 thing to me that I think is okay about like the skill roll or whatever, it, the, the the problem with create food and water is the time investment of it. Um, where at the start of a day, I can just create food and water, um, and I'm able to feed the whole party, but then also have actions for the day. Like so, a lot of I feel like survival is going to be about exploration mode, about what you choose to do while you are exploring. Right? You get up, it's you're in camp. You get up, and everybody says, "I'm gonna go check over those ruins we saw yesterday. I didn't quite get to the bottom of it, and I'm sure there's more to find." And somebody else goes, "I'm gonna go do whatever." And I think it's a very reasonable thing for the ranger to say, "Okay, I'm gonna go take my fishing pole and fish in the creek." and get some food for us. And so when when the party is kind of de delineating how they are going to allocate their time uh, on the different days, right? I think it makes a lot of sense for a ranger to allocate his time to the kind of upkeep of the party, right? And I think it's also because survival is a useful skill in a lot of different survive in, in I'm sorry in a lot of different um, exploration scenarios right that's a real loss if you say okay well the ranger is going to forage for eight hours so that he can get us dinner and we can eat our rations for the day <clears throat> okay and that's a that's a that's like a real loss compared to saying well the ranger is going to come with me to the ruins and use his better survival check to help explore those ruins better um, I don't quite mind uh, a version of Create Food and Water. Like, Create Food and Water is a 10-minute cast time, I think. Um, I don't quite mind a version of Create Food and Water that takes longer to cast or that needs a, a, a more substantial reagent to cast um, or has some kind of, like, drawback um, that can that can make the other stuff sort of competitive. I also like, for instance, saying we're going to get 10 days of trail rations, right? Some of those days we're going to have the ranger go forage, but if we don't want the ranger to forage... <clears throat> or if the ranger fails his forage check, we can use some of our trail rations to supplement. Or we're going to say, everybody's going to eat from trail rations today because we all want to go to the ruins together, right? Like, I think those kinds of uh, decisions and planning get squeezed out because create food and water is so useful. Okay, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, think, I think that in context, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Um, I, I, I assume you're imagining like all these things happening as kind of a downtime activity. To use yeah, the yeah, yeah, official yeah. PF2 part. All right. I think that's kind of actually important because... Oh, I, yeah, you're right. It is downtime, not exploration. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, I did some looking. I don't think that there's actually a way to forage for food in a way that isn't a downtime activity. Um which is kind of hard for, like, I guess it implies that you have to, like, you have to save up to, like, have days where you don't have to go foraging for yourself, which makes sense. Um, that's interesting, yeah. at the very least. Um, uh, the thing I was going to point out is that um, while create food does potentially sustain you indefinitely, create water only creates two gallons of water. Um, and while there's no rule for it, I think it's very easy to say that, like, like two gallons of water, depending on on your addition is either one or two people's worth of water. And I think that like having to cast, use two or three spells to fill your water requirement, I think is a, a much heavier penalty. So I think that that helps balance it. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other thing I was going to point out, um, in case that that <clears throat> doesn't do it for you, essentially, um, is there are the, in the rules, there are like, um, there are like options about um, some essentially what you can do to like subsist versus live comfortably, and there's no rules for any of that. But I think that you could like take those things and give them give give them like kind of mechanical inferences and call create food only subsistence, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was talking about with with malnourishment, where yeah. I was kind of like you can if if you try and subsist on create food and water. You know, you end up taking fortitudes. You know, like you have to make fortitude saves yeah. to like not get fucked up or something, or then maybe your whole your fatigued the whole day or something. If yeah, you know, yeah, whatever that looks like. Yeah, okay. So create food. So I also think that it, that that is a, a good thing. That I think about create water, create food, um, creating enough to six, uh, creating enough to feed six people uh, is sort of the. It, I I didn't actually realize that they had split it into two. Yeah. It, pathfinder it was both create food and water um but yeah so like a ver another fix to this hypothetically is saying create food makes enough for one right and so you have to expend a bunch of second level spell slots right or or two or whatever it is kind of thing or maybe you heighten it to level four and then okay well now boy a fourth level spell to feed the whole party that's kind of a big investment or whatever the case may be but the point is is that i feel like the barrier on create food and water is built for games that are not this kind of survival focused game and that sure. those kinds of changes might need to be might need to be made i don't know i'm not in the same position about banning it as i might be with like i think teleport has a pretty good case for being banned um well it, it's uncommon so you like you it, it's, it's oh yeah you're right you're yeah. right yeah yeah but the point is is that like there are I, like i don't think it's the worst thing in the world but it is definitely one of those things where i would feel comfortable saying you know what this is the kind of game we're playing this kind of spell uh can really kind of like fuck with the mechanics that we're making for it so i'm going to change it to be such and such so that it's kind of like more in line right because i don't think it needs a nerf outright i don't think it needs a nerf for a regular game sure um but uh but in the specific in for the specific kind of game that you're playing i think that you know it might yeah um i i don't know like, like as, as i've said before i think that other penalties are are or I, I prefer other solutions but um I, I, I was thinking about this because, like, essentially, like, I feel I feel like a system that's that's more kind of like, you know, because of the harsh environment of the jungle, you're actually making a fortitude check every day to um, avoid like some some sort of like condition like that, like fatigued or whatever, and being well well fed makes that check significantly easier or something like that might be a better approach, um, mm. because um, not fight like essentially 
what that shifts it from is if you don't find food, you starve to death to um, if you don't find or if, if you don't find good food, you are at a disadvantage that puts it such that you, you die in like that, that you, you do worse in combat, which puts the, the failure state there, I think, is a little bit better. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's just kind of like all, all, all uh, kind of in there. Um, but, you know, obviously you, you haven't like come up with a set of rules for that because there are no existing rules or the existing rules are not in 2E, so it's something you would have to make up. So I'm sure we'll revisit this whenever you come up with the full set of rules for that if, if we end up going forward with that campaign. Yeah, I, I am uh, I am working on it diligently, uh, I guess I, I would say. Um, have you been using Archivos? Uh, I, you know what? I actually have not been using Archivos because right now I've been working on essentially the campaign primer document because I don't want to do this in Galarian. Okay. Um, I'm actually doing this in a game that has you have kind of played in. Um, it's it's going back a little bit to some of those like you know uh, like the dark races or whatever that I've done before in the past where certain races are heavily discriminated against or whatever. I like that. Uh, I was talking with Warren about it actually on the plane back from Gen Con because um, he played in a much longer game in that <clears throat> he played in a much longer game in that setting. Um, and he told me he wanted to play in that setting again. And I was like, you know what? That's cool. Plus, I also like the having the four E races as NPC races. Like, I like the idea that, they're, you know, like an NPC is a dragonborn or whatever. Um, or an NPC. Well, I don't want to use a Ladrin, but whatever the case may be, right? Like, it, it kind of opens up the amount of art that I'm able to use. Right. Um, so that uh, I'm not just reusing the same pictures or whatever over and over again uh, for, for people. Yeah, no, I haven't been able to access Roll20 for like five days, so or like two days. What? Uh, I don't know. There's just something. Oh, is it just like being being goofy? Yeah, it's just it just gets stuck on the loading screen. Okay. Uh, which is funny because I'm not I'm super not prepared to do Hell's Rebels this week. We didn't do Hell's Rebels last week because Orion got uh, got his surgery. My cat, um, he's a cone, he's coned right now, so that he doesn't he doesn't rip out his stitches. Um, but I guess if I can't get in there <laughs> before Wednesday, we might be, you know, we might be out of, uh, out of it again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would actually, I, I spent some time actually today, um, throwing some stuff into, into Archivos cause I, I basically, um, had like an inspiration. I, I saw, I saw like a, like somebody's like, uh, an ignored historical weapon. And I'm like, that's a neat idea. I want to throw this into something. And so I started kind of throwing some framework together, um, uh, I called it Proto Rizarin because I don't know if I want it to be Rizarin or not. Um, but uh, you know, there's a piece, and it, it's good for that kind of thing, right? Like if if you're doing those world building things, throwing those things in there like real quickly is is is, is nice. Yeah, um, yeah. The, because I already had the campaign primer primer sure. from before, but I'm translating it more into Pathfinder than into uh, 4E, and I'm also changing up some some of the other things. What, one of the big things is that I wanted to change gods around um, because one of the things I had in that 4E game was all of the gods were... We talked about this with Rys, with Rysarin, um, uh which was this idea that like gods are more defined by interpretive communities in a way um than anything else and so you all gods can kind of be all alignments and you have evil followers and good followers right so a good follower of this god looks like this and an evil follower of this god looks like that um and so i just wanted to, to import some of those thoughts because i like those right right um especially after doing a game that's like rooted in kind of like evil you know like evil gods like asmodeus and stuff like that <clears throat> 
Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's 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 really neat. Um, but uh, we're towards the end of our time. Uh, did you have any? Did you have any last thoughts before we wrap Boy, this up? Did I have any last thoughts? Uh, so something that is cool that has come out that I wanted to just plug really quickly are lethal puzzles for Hearthstone. Um, do you know what lethal puzzles are? Have you ever heard of lethal puzzles? Is, is it like you have to kill somebody within like a turn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you, you get like a board state and you have to sit there and figure out, okay, how do I turn this board state into lethal? And a lot of the times what it is is it's a missed lethal of some variety. Uh, like this will happen in tournaments where people will identify that somebody had lethal by some and and generally it's like crazy and convoluted right where like you do something really you know unintuitive um or you know or something kind of along those lines to figure out the way to the like figure out the way to win like you don't kill command their face you kill command your savannah high main because you have a timber wolf out and it's going to make those two charging hyenas much better or something like that you know what i mean um and they have puzzle, and so with the with the release of the Boomsday Project, the most recent Hearthstone expansion, they have puzzles out. And there's actually more puzzles. There is a Lethal Mirror, which is just get the board state on your opponent's side to match your side. Uh, board clear and survival. Um, board clear obviously is to just destroy the whole board, and survival is to heal your hero to full. Um, using like the the tools on the board and a lot of those puzzles are really like fun and interesting and i had a lot of fun playing i'm actually not done with them yet uh i have like two or three more to go um but i highly recommend them especially as like a mobile game it's almost like playing like something like monument valley or something in hearthstone um or uh or whatever that fucking wolf game that we two eyes about. two eyes yeah it's also a little bit like that where it's just kind of like you sit down and you do a puzzle and you try and figure it out but they're also pretty tough puzzles to be honest with you and there were a couple of times where i had to like go watch like a youtuber sort of like reason through the puzzle to see what i missed makes sense awesome i might i might have to check that out um because it looks sounds neat um but uh if you don't have anything else i think i'm gonna wrap this up you you good fair enough let's yeah we're, we're good um all right uh, so if you would like to contact us about what you think about plot holes or uh, Hollow Knight or World of Warcraft, you can, or any of the other things we talked about on the show, you can contact us at podcast at somedervesplaygames.com or somedervesplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash somedervesplaygames where if a buddy can get back into Roll20, we'll be playing Hell's Rebels this week. Um, and uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and on uh, SoundCloud and uh, kind of everywhere leave us a comment give us a five-star rating on itunes uh leave us a comment there we, we love that kind of stuff um i think that's everything i had but do you have anything else you wanted to promote i have nothing else that i'm looking to promote in that case until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners